it's Metal Dave with you, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind you, when you're watching these episodes on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, we need the numbers. We appreciate you uh, listening and leaving comments. And uh, so do that first thing when you're checking out a new episode and uh, go back and click on the ones you've already watched as well. Uh, today, we are going to head up north and uh, to Canada, and that's north for us because we're based in Texas. We're going to talk about all the great rock and roll bands that came out of Canada. Um, obviously, Rush and Triumph get uh, the lion's share of the spotlight when we talk about Canadian rock bands, but there's a ton of lesser-known bands in between. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those today, but first... Jason, let's bring you in here. What's going on, man? How was your birthday? Thanks for asking. Um, uh, I was overwhelmed, uh, you know, uh, since this is kind of a Wayne's World type show, I am not worthy. <laughs> uh, Facebook was like a giant birthday card. I mean, it just like, it's still going. Yeah. Um, I don't even think I got to read all of the messages I got. Completely overwhelming. So it's going to be that uh, very, very typical, uh, I don't know how I could do it any different than anybody else does it. Uh, you know, uh, let, an open letter on my Facebook page just saying thank you to all. The It's overwhelming. I tried to read all of them. I tried to hit like on everybody's um Yada yada yada. So uh, according uh, according to Facebook, my birthday was badass <laughs> because it was a river of love. Yeah, I, I posted something on my page, and you got more likes on my page than a cute video of my son gets. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, uh, I I didn't I didn't expect it to 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 blow up like that. Um, so it's much appreciated. I had a fantastic birthday. Uh, it was, it was me and my wife just hanging out and, you know, I got to work on, uh, my, my grotto with my pool and, uh, installed a movie projector and it was awesome fun times with power tools in the pool, <laughs> literally. Uh, quarters, and, I hope. It, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I got I got great messages uh, from my idols. I got one from Gene Hoagland, and I got one. Uh, that's enough, Gene Hoagland. That's enough. I'd I'd just be bragging after that. Yeah, yeah. That's enough. Um, well, what about you? How how's your how's your weekend going so far? Uh, going going well so far. You know, speaking of memorable dates. Um, I, and this one is memorable for all the wrong reasons, but I was reminded this morning when I was having my coffee that today is the 39th anniversary of the plane crash that killed Randy Rhodes. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I I know that because it's right around the time of my birthday, and and now my anniversary, my my wedding wedding anniversary is technically uh, nine years married yesterday. Wow. Uh, yeah, but but March 19th, I am very aware. Did you know that I have actually been to the crash site? I did not know that. I did that, not know that. 
yeah, that uh, that place is in oh, it's in Florida, and I can't think yeah. of the little town that it's in. At Lakeland. Lakeland, Florida. It's called Florida Coach. Is the name of the company. Okay. And uh, like, say, when you lease a, a tour bus and you're on the road and you're in that bus, and if you hit Florida, they usually go get an oil change or get some maintenance or whatever, and the driver can get stuff out of their car or whatever, because it's usually the meeting place, right? And they have small prop planes that they lease as well. So it's like a very, very small airport slash bus lease kind of a there's multiple houses and cottages and it's like a compound right yeah so i've actually seen where that all of that mayhem took place yeah uh just a tragic story i remember yeah. when it happened it was 1982 and at that time i was 15 years old i was living in montgomery alabama and back then of course you know you didn't have the internet and MTV and Twitter and all this sort of thing. So I wasn't even aware of the plane crash until I rode my bicycle to the convenience store that I, that was nearby. I used to pedal up there to pick up the latest uh, issue of circus magazine or hit parader magazine. And I remember getting the latest issue and opening it up and seeing that there was a news item in there about Randy Rhodes being killed in a plane crash. Now, when you get the news in a monthly magazine, you know, the news is actually three or four weeks old or older at that mm. point, right? So we didn't have all this instant communication. So I wasn't even aware until I read a hard copy magazine in a 7-Eleven somewhere in Montgomery, Alabama. And I remember pedaling home and just being so sad because at that point, he had become my favorite guitar player. Um, I remember... I had the Blizzard of Oz record, and I remember thinking he was just so amazing that it was it was just impossible to rival Eddie Van Halen, but here's this guy, and he's got his own thing, and he's just an amazing player, and I liked him a little, you know, but a little more maybe than Van Halen because he was paired up with Ozzy, and the music was darker, and it was a little more metal, but... Yeah, I remember it uh, vividly, just like one of those things where you remember where you were when the space, you know, the space shuttle exploded or 9-11 or, or whatever. And uh, many years later in 1997, I, I haven't been to the to the crash site, but I've been to Randy's grave. Mm -hmm. So in 97, I, I fulfilled a dream by going out to California and I wanted to just walk up and down Sunset Boulevard and check out all the legendary clubs where all the, where all the, you know, the music happened, uh, you know, the whiskey and the coconut teaser and, you know, the key club and all these places and, uh, what used to be Gazaris and, and, uh, I went out there to California. I had a buddy living out there. He picks me up at the airport and he goes, you finally made it to California. What's the first thing you want to do? And I said, before I even get out of this car, I want to go to Randy Rhodes's grave. And he says, well, where is it? And I said, it's in San Bernardino. And he goes, oh my God, dude, that's like a two hour drive in traffic from here. And I said, you asked. <laughs> and he said, all right, you made the trip. I'll get you there. And again, this is before the internet. So I had a paperback book that I bought in a used bookstore that basically sort of highlighted all these rock and roll landmarks. 
you know, Jim Morrison's grave and the building where Led Zeppelin shot the physical graffiti cover, that sort of thing. So they had a picture of Randy Rhodes's grave. So that was my reference point. So we get to the we get to the cemetery, we find the grave. Um, it was it was eerie and it was cool at the same time. There was guitar picks and flowers and just stuff, you know, kind of all over the, the tomb. He's got this pretty good sized tomb that I, I believe Ozzy had a hand in helping pay for it. Um, but anyway, I got to visit and then and pay my respects and just kind of be in the presence of greatness. And the weird thing is when we were leaving the cemetery, I turned around and started to walk away and not a stone's throw away from Randy's tomb is a headstone, a big headstone that probably comes up about just over my belly button, halfway up my chest. And on that headstone is my last name, Glessner. <laughs> and I was like, wow, because, you know, my last name isn't Smith or Jones or Williams or something that's sure. fairly common. So it struck me as, you know, again, very eerie, but also very cool to know that my last name is uh, within walking distance of Randy Rhodes's grave. So anyway, a sad day in rock and roll history. It'd be interesting to see what he was doing today if he was still around. But uh, yeah, I, I lo a lot of us uh, like remember where they were when they heard that. Yeah. yeah or, or at least uh, there's a window of, of, of time they recall when they you know heard the news and ran to their closest buddies and were like did you hear the news and then you have a moment together yeah, yeah i think everybody uh, everybody i know who's cool Excellent. knows yeah. yeah yeah sad day in rock and roll history but uh randy rhodes of course the music will live forever so we have that so anyway let's move into our main topic for this uh, episode <laughs> Today we are traveling up north, at least figuratively. We're going to visit Canada and talk about some of the great rock and roll that came out of that country. Um, obviously, Rush and Triumph are two of the biggest bands that came out of Canada. Uh, gave us a lot of great music, and uh, we'll talk about them, I'm sure. But uh, also wanted to talk about some of the lesser-known bands, uh, and uh, the fact that they somehow managed to gain a foothold in Texas, which I found to be really interesting, considering that South Central Texas is about as far away from Canada as you can possibly get. <laughs> and again, this is all during the age before the Internet. Um, so you had to listen to your local radio station and the fact that they were playing bands from Canada uh, was a pretty interesting uh, revelation. But anyway, we'll start with you, Jason. Talk about some of your favorite Canadian bands. I um r right out of the bat because uh, if I if I don't start now, um, I'll and if I start if I start talking about this uh, artist later, I won't shut up about it. So this <laughs> will give me don't let me go longer than at least a few minutes about Danko Jones. I knew it. I knew it. I, I have to start with Danko just because. I mean, I'm a huge Rush fan, but that's that's only the beginning of it. Um, uh, there's a friend of mine, and who's just a you know, I, I'm not close with this person, uh, who sent me 
uh, they live in, uh, Alison Murray lives in Edinburgh, Scotland, and had seen Danko a decade or more ago and uh, Broken Teeth uh, became, uh, a, you know, became a, she became a fan of Broken Teeth, my band Broken Teeth, and, and all, you know, obviously loves the same kind of stuff that is influenced, you know, Broken Teeth and ICDC Motorhead, Old Priest, da 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 da. And uh, sends me burned CDs of Danko Jones, and I think it was like the first three records, which are these sort of garage rock, almost punk kind of. Uh, um, you know, low budget, lo-fi sort of recordings. Right. Uh, they, that, that I feel like when you listen to a more recent Danko Jones record, you're like, it's the money sound, you know, it sounds fat, but then you hear like born a lion or, uh, or something like that. Uh, it's pretty raw. Yeah. And, uh, but the songs are still, it's still Danko Jones. He still has this incredible, uh, attitude in his rock and it's rock it's blues based rock it has a metal attitude but it also has this sort of like below the belt buckle kind of raunchy dirty uh you know style that's very acdc tonally uh uh maybe kiss influenced lyrics lyrics are very paul stanley gene simmons-esque yeah uh the tone the the you know the the riffs and just the way the band plays it, it would rival like sort of a kiss meets motorhead meets thin lizzy meets like black flag meets like ufo or something yeah. he doesn't do ballads there's no <laughs> ballads though we notice that about Danko jones there's, that, yeah there's nothing that's sort of heartfelt he's wearing his heart on his sleeve but he's yelling at you about it you know yeah. he's not he's not getting sweet with you in a way that you would uh fall in love in that way you would fall in love because he's like uh he's He's mad about you. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's mad about you. That's the way he would say he's uh, he's falling in love. It's he's mad about you. He's yeah. crazy for you, and he's jumping up and down, and he's rocking your socks off. Yeah. Um, I I could go on and like I said, I could go on and on and on. But this guy is a champion, and in my book, and I still say this, I haven't said it aloud in a long time. I really think that he saved rock and roll especially in an underground uh, way, in an underground attitude. Um, you know, he's not the only band I feel like that is on the rampage uh, and by way of waving the flag, saving that this kind of rock and roll music. Yeah. Um, I think that we've talked about Buck Cherry and when Buck Cherry came out, even though it's not really the same, around the same time, I think that, you know, after the grunge era was king, you know, other than Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Soundgarden with, you know, writing hit after hit after hit, 
down from the upside, whatever that record was, was just huge. You know, you think about that era of what was happening. Yeah. Allison Chains becoming a household name and da 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 da. It was still rock and roll. It still had all this these great things about it. But as far as like um something like a junkyard or even a dangerous toys, you know, it, it was inspiring me to write a more of a kick-ass broken teeth song, you know. Yeah. And Broken Teeth sort of came about around around uh, around '99, which is around that time that this this stuff was starting to like, man, we need more of this. Where yeah. is the kick-ass AC/DC and Kiss vibe of rock and roll? Where is it? Well, I found Danko Jones thanks to my friend Allison, who yeah. sent me burnt CDs, which I quickly fell in love with and went to the store and I was like, give me everything Danko, give me, <laughs> give me all the Danko you got. Yeah, and uh, I guess still to this day, my favorite Denko is "We Sweat Blood." That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, pretty much every song, pretty much every song on "We Sweat Blood" is like that's like uh, you know the destroyer. Uh, that's the that's the Denko destroyer is "We Sweat Blood." Yeah. Um, you know, I could talk about Canadian bands for another hour. Myself, it's your yeah. turn, Dave. Please speak. <laughs> Now, I knew you were going to bring up Danko Jones, and rightfully so. He's kind of uh, under the radar here in America, but man, what a what a kick-ass rock and roll band. Uh, and like you said, came around, came along at a time when we were desperately needing a band that had influences like the Sex Pistols, ACDC, Motorhead, Thin Lizzy, Early Kiss, because that stuff just wasn't happening. And uh yeah, he came along and sort of filled that void, and he's still doing it today. He's a great live band. Uh, so if you're not aware, go, you know, as Jason said, go find everything Danko. <laughs> so related related to Danko is the uh, the T-shirt you're wearing. I know it's it, it, it doesn't say Danko Jones, but uh, Danko is the reason that shirt exists. You yeah. can talk about that shirt all for a bit. So yeah, I'll 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 take your lead there. This shirt, of course, is a Broken Teeth T-shirt. Your band and our producer Jared. Um, the T-shirt, the artwork was done by Away, who is the drummer for Canadian band uh, Voivod. So it all kind of ties together here. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, your connection to Danko helped make this T-shirt happen. Like Away was willing to do the artwork for the T-shirt because uh, Danko is a mutual friend or something to that effect. I, I saw a Danko Jones patch, like a sew-on patch for your jacket, for your battle jacket, right? Yeah. And and the logo, the it was no font, but I knew who drew that logo as soon as I saw it. And it was away. Yeah. Uh I wanna say his name is like Michael, but it it spells like Michelle. Yeah, it is. And he and Danko were close. And I asked Danko about the patch. And I'm like, that's a way. And he's like, Yeah, of course it's a way. And yeah. I was like, how did you get that? And he's like, oh, man, buddies, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh, man. He's like, I can hook you up. And I'm like, oh, dude. So yeah. I, it was an email thread after Danko in, you know, sent me uh, Away's email. And so there was a thread between me and Away. And, and I almost don't even want to say because, like, 
I feel like he gave me a bro deal. It was, I feel like it was very cheap. Yeah. Uh, and well, it was, uh, you know, it was pretty much the first thing that he sent me was what there is on your chest. Yeah. And it's exactly how I described. I said, I want the, you know, here's our logo currently. Just turn this into you, right? Make this your version of this logo. And I, I have this crazy sort of thing in my in my head about you know an army of marching pitchforks they're yeah. not people but they're these pitchforks that you see littering the sky when you look up like you know there's people connected to them on the bottom yeah. but all you see is this giant like swarm of pitchforks stalking the night you know yeah. walking through the streets yeah and the music you hear in the background would be broken teeth music damn it yeah well, uh, he obviously has a very distinctive style. Uh, oh my God! It's all very jagged and futuristic looking. Um, so yeah, as soon as you see it, if you're familiar with his artwork, and he does all the Voivod album covers, so so he does have a very distinctive style. And of course, this has his name literally on it, on right? It. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's just so, part of the shirt, by the way. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I've seen other versions of that shirt with with that's not on there, and I'm like, nope, nope can't can't have that. I it's have like, a, I almost want to just have a shirt that has that blown up on it, just says away. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be. See what I mean? Yeah. Um, but well, but yeah. here's here's the deal. I do want to want to give give some more credit. Uh, a way he he does has done other art for other bands, and I don't believe them all to be Canadian bands. But he did. Uh, do you remember Dave Grohl's metal project called Probot? Yeah, that's him. That album. That's yep. a way. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's one of my favorites. Yeah, because he plays on that album as well. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the T-shirt brought up Away and Danko Jones brought up Voivod in Away. So I might as well just go ahead because I've got them on my list. Let's talk about Voivod. Because you uh, have to. Obviously, obviously one of the great uh, Canadian uh, bands, one of the, you know, cool thrash metal proggy kind of uh, bands, highly influenced by Pink Floyd and Rush and that sort of thing, but uh, very metallic and I remember, uh, I'll be honest, the first album I bought by Voivod was the Roar record. And I, I, love bought, it. I bought it purely for the fact that I turned it over and the guys in the band looked so cool, man. I mean, they just looked metal. Uh, the guitars looked like weapons. They looked like broken shards of glass. They had the spiked arm bands. Uh, uh, Blackie, the bass player, had half of his head shaved. I mean, they just looked fierce. So I was like, I got to buy this. I'll be honest, I brought it home and I was like, oh my God, I can't even listen to this. The production was terrible. You know, you sometimes talk about that uh, Venom and how you kind of didn't like it when they actually learned to play their instruments. And I'm not saying that Voivod didn't know how to play their instruments on their early stuff, but when they, when the musicianship paired up with the production on later records for me anyway uh i know a lot of people like killing technology a lot of people like dimension Hatros, which is where i started to get the vibe that okay this is something they're they're moving in the right direction but the the span of albums from nothing face through the outer limits 
maybe yeah. is probably my favorite stretch of albums by them. And what about, uh, I want to jump in. What about Nothing Face? I love Nothing Face. Yeah. yeah. Nothing That's how I feel. I feel like when they started to like sort of like lean into the light. Yeah. For lack of a better term, they leaned into the light a little bit. It wasn't so in the shadows and we have to be apocalyptic all the time, the way that we sound. And even with the production, the production yeah. sounding like a razor blade on your earlobe, uh, your eardrum. Sorry. The, you know, that's that's kind of what they were sort of about. I feel like Piggy, the original guitar player, is no longer with us, really helped define the tone of the band. And he had his own version of chords, if not yeah. tuning as well. And he made those guitars. So here's here's a little uh, antidote. Uh, my old band, Watchtower, opened a sh one show for Voivod Celtic Frost in 86. Nice. And... You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm standing next to Piggy and he's holding one of his guitars and I'm going, holy crap, you know, where did you get that guitar? And he he understands English, but he didn't speak it very well. They're French Canadian, by the way. So uh, their first language is is French. Right. So he says, I make. Yeah, <laughs> I make. And I say, you damn right. You make. Yeah. No, those guitars. You make me want to destroy. Those <laughs> guitars were just—they were just wicked looking. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I don't even know how to describe them except to say they look like weapons or, or shards of broken glass. They were really cool looking, and uh, yeah, I, I remember I bought the Roar record. I didn't like it, and then I kind of gave up on them. And then I went over to my buddy Al's house one day, and he had Dimension Hatros, and he said, "Have you heard the new Voivod record?" And I thought to myself, why would I want to hear another Voivod record? That first one, that one that I bought was just horrible. I couldn't even listen to it. And he goes, dude, you got to give this one a chance. So he puts it on the turntable. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, how is this even the same band? It was almost yeah, I, leaps uh, and bounds. You're you're probably going to get, well, no, I wouldn't call it hate mail, but you might get some guff over uh, saying Roar was unlistenable. When Roar, when I listened to Roar, I'm going, this is a genesis of something. Yeah. I this is starting an entire movement right here. The way this sounds is is what even now some ears prefer to hear that razor. What did I say? Razor blade on the eardrum. They they like that brash right. uh, crushing sound. And then by by where you're sort of reintroduced, Dave, I feel like it's more of a money sound. The tones are warmer, still right. loud and crazy as all hell. Right. But yeah, and War and Pain still in the realm of Roar, yeah. but I liked War and Pain a little bit better than uh, than Roar, yeah. and I I I think that still Killing Technology is sort of the beginnings of sort of the new Voivod. Yeah. And also, by the way, want to jump jump to the end here and like sort of I hope I'm not messing you up too bad. No. Um, Jason Newstead played in Voivod. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I sure did. Uh, uh, two albums, I believe. May maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little later on in, the, in their career, yeah. Um, but, I, and, and, and to be fair, I have to say, I can go back and listen to Roar today and have a better appreciation for it. At the time that it came out, my ears weren't yet in tune with things like Slayer and Voivod and, and that sort of thing. I was still 
tuned into, you know, metal to me was still Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. So it was a very abrasive sound to begin with. And then you throw in the low budget production and everything. Today, I can go back and listen to it and appreciate it more than I did at the time. Uh, but I'm still going to go with that stretch of albums from I'll go to I'll go as far back as Dimension and then to Outer Limits. Uh, that that consecutive stretch of albums is pretty great. And I have to say, I think, you know, depending on the day you ask me, it's my favorite is either uh, Nothing Face or Angel Wrath, which is one that kind of got overlooked. But and Blackie was out of the band at the time. Uh, but I've always thought Angel Rat was kind of the sleeper album in that stretch of albums. And uh, depending on when you ask me, it might be my favorite. So, yeah, um, the Constance being being uh, Snake and Away, the yeah. singer and the drummer, um, yeah. because Piggy passed away years ago. I don't have a date. Uh, he's been gone a long time, though. I'm still sticking with Piggy, though. I think that he really created the tone of that band. Yeah. Um, I think fun fact, my, one of my very first stage dives was at a Voivod gig. It was the Dimension Atros tour. Kick ass. It was at sneakers, believe it or not. Wow. (laughs) Let me ask you this. What, what, what record is the Pink Floyd cover on? Well, they do two Pink Floyd covers. They do Astronomy Domain is on, uh, Nothing Face. That's right. Okay. they do the Nile song, which is also a Pink Floyd tune, on yeah. the Outer Limits. I didn't realize they they did uh, the Nile song on the Outer Limits. Who who's in the band when they did that? Well, it's Piggy. Uh, Pig, Piggy Snake. is on Piggy's on the Nile song. Uh, he's on the Outer Limits record. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. May so, could that have been Piggy's last record? I, it may have been. It's okay. basically three out of four. Again, Blackie is missing in action. They had another guy step in to, to play bass on the record. But it's it's Snake, Piggy, and Away on the Outer Limits. And that may have been uh, Piggy's uh, last record with the band. I think that they did a uh, what I just call in, in these days, I call it a Malcolm Young, They, you know, an ACTC where there were a bunch of piggy riffs left over. I want to say the, la- the there's a record that doesn't, the first record without Piggy has tons of piggy riffs. Like they, he had a back catalog with all these almost complete uh, songs that they were able to sew together and make a record. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, 10 songs or the full, you know, full 10 songs or not, but of of songs that featured Piggy's writing and his his actual riffs, which I think is badass. Yeah, you're right. There was a record that was basically put together with a lot of pieces that he left behind, and it was sort of a tribute to him. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Man, we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, let me let me throw out another one. Uh, growing up in San Antonio, the Killer Dwarfs were always a fan favorite in San Antonio, all the way from Canada, and they found a home in San Antonio. Uh, they used to get played on the radio. Ninety nine five Kiss. Joe Anthony was instrumental in uh, in promoting uh, the Killer Dwarfs. So they were a big fan favorite in San Antonio, and they used to come through. I mean, it just seemed like they were always there considering they had to come as far as Canada. And of course they're on a tour, you know, but uh, they always made a stop in San Antonio. I saw them numerous times. 
and they were just a good fun band and they they had a string of albums from about the early 80s to about the mid 80s there's a there was a run of like three records stand tall big deal and dirty weapons uh that basically encompasses like some of their best work and they were always a lot of fun uh a, a really good live band, high energy, and they all had the last name Dwarf, <laughs> kind of yeah. like. And I remember Russ Dwarf, the singer. He was a really short guy, and, and oddly enough, I think the other guys were actually kind of on the tall side, so the name was a bit ironic in some ways. But he used to come out on, a, you know, pedal around on a tricycle. He would do handstands. Uh, they were just a good, fun, high energy rock band. Yeah, you know, I'm I met is the singer's name Russ? Yeah, Russ Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, I I met him on one of those uh Monsters of Rock cruises that I was on with the Toys. And he was taller than I thought. Oh, was he? So yeah, he was taller than I thought and I'm I'm about 6 foot, so he wasn't like really a dwarf. Right. For those who <laughs> who are new to to just the I the idea of a band of killer dwarfs—they're not actually dwarfs. So, well, they were—they um, were really good. If if people aren't familiar with them, I, I'd recommend those albums I just meant uh, that I just mentioned: uh, Stand Tall, uh, Big Deal, and Dirty, Dirty Weapons. Weapons. Dirty Weapons. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think Dirty Weapons is uh, unfortunately the only record by them that I have, and I remember hearing Dirty Weapons seeing it on MTV, hearing it on the radio, uh, a little bit in certain markets, but um, didn't really get much notoriety outside of San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that they got much notoriety anywhere else in America, you know, possibly New York and LA, you know, the big, yeah. big cities, but uh, uh, San Antonio was a, uh, just loved them. They totally embraced him. And I, I did an interview one time with either Lou Roney, who was a legendary DJ in San Antonio, who was uh, uh, Joe Anthony's partner. They, those two are, are <laughs> almost responsible for bringing so much music from overseas and elsewhere to San Antonio. When these bands couldn't get an audience anywhere else in the world, they, they were rock stars in San Antonio already. So I did an interview with either Lou Roney or Tom Shepke, who was another well-known DJ in San Antonio. And I think they were telling me that there was a time in the late 70s, early 80s, when the record labels started realizing that there's a sweet spot in San Antonio, Texas for Canadian bands. They would send the records and they would actually get played. And they thought, wow, they're actually playing the records in San Antonio. These bands are getting noticed in San Antonio. We're going to send them everything Canadian that we possibly can. And that may be the reason that there was such a strong foothold for Canadian bands in San Antonio, because the list is just endless and we won't get to them all today, but uh, Killer Dwarfs. It could, it could have been, it, it, that, was, that was a good segue, uh, no matter how you slice it. Um, the, it must have been a booking agent or something that Lou might have been talking about that yeah. was, you know, be able to just make phone calls to um, the PR departments for said record labels from this band and that band to, hey, there's a 
station in San Antonio that's guaranteed airplay. I yeah. know they're going to play your stuff. Da 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 da. These DJs, they like good. They don't just play anything. They listen to it. If they like it, they spin it. They play it. They say it. Kind of a thing, which was the creed back yeah. then. When and we're talking late seventies, early eighties, right? Uh, and then listeners would call in and request it, demand it. So they were they were building a grassroots effort in San Antonio, uh, and Canadian bands just uh, they, they they just did really well in San Antonio during, like you said, during that time in the late seventies and moving on throughout the eighties. One of those late seventies bands that really took off in San Antonio. Uh, was Moxie. Definitely. Uh, I want to, I want to talk, I want to jump into the, what everything Moxie here. Um, there, there's a lot of things that we've already sort of talked about on Talk Louder um, that have to do with Canadian bands. And some of these things we may have mentioned before uh, Mike Ranowski, Mike Reno from Loverboy, which Loverboy is definitely worthy of a mention here because yep. they just kicked ass worldwide. Yep. They had super hits. They were an MTV darling. Yep. Uh, their songs are kick ass. Uh, there's a there's a there's definitely some topical Velveeta. Yeah. <laughs> on Loverboy, but I'm okay with that because the guitar tones. I love the drummer. Um, they were they were just a kick ass rock and roll band. Yeah, uh, super groovy. They had great production, and they were they were they were heavy hitters to me. I would put them in there with like Foreigner. Yeah, they I'm were glad, they were as hot as that. I'm I'm glad you brought them up because I have them on my list, and I was afraid I was going to lose some cool guy points oh. by by mentioning Loverboy. But they have a track record of if you put together a greatest hits of Loverboy tunes, you could probably do two albums. Because they really did have the songs, and they had a time from 1980 when their debut album came out, which had The Kid Is Hot Tonight was on there, and I think Turn Me Loose was the other single yeah. of that record. And then, of course, Get Lucky came right after that, which was a blockbuster, huge record. Uh and that then, guitar play, that guitar player knew how to like write a riff that was like a metal riff but that translated radio style rock and roll like like you know he he was really giving the vocals something to attach yeah you know i remember them you know being like you said all over the radio all over yeah. mtv i didn't necessarily appreciate them when they were out because they were one of those bands that sort of the preppies and the jocks liked and i i could never get over mike reno's short hair and the and the headband and the red leather pants and all that but uh, man, you can't take anything away from them in the songwriting department. They put out about three or four records from the early to the mid '80s that were really solid, chock full of great songs. Well, and and back to where where we got where we went off on, um, you know, on uh, uh, Loverboy there for a moment. It was right. Moxie that we were talking about, <laughs> and um, you know. Uh, Tommy Bolin, who was in Deep Purple by God, right. played the solos on the debut record. I don't think he played all the solos, but he was guest guitar player. And I don't even know if he was officially credited on the record for playing a bunch of solos on that. The I call it the Black Album. Yeah. And that's the record that you know well because of you lived in San Antonio when it was just hot shit. Right. And, uh, it, it's it's an incredible backstory. 
that rec that record reminds me of like a, a really dry Led Zeppelin record because Buzz, the singer, reminded me a lot of like a Robert Plant. Uh, yeah. He he had a lot of style. He had a lot of swagger. Uh, Moxie toured with ACDC, I think, the first run of ACDC shows in America in the mid-'70s. And um, later on, when Bond passed away, Buzz was one of the first people that uh, ACDC contacted to see if he was interested. And, of course, he declined, and then Buzz later on passed away. And that's where... Uh, Mike Renowski comes in later known as Mike Reno because after his short stand, I think one album Mike did with Moxie's second album, I believe. Not, I don't know. Okay. They did three Buzz okay. Sherman and then Mike came in on the fourth record. And I don't know if he did anything beyond that because even the fourth record with Mike Reno didn't really do very well. So I, yeah. I'm not familiar with the material. Honestly, I'm not familiar with the material past the first two records, uh, which well, are and, considered their classics. Yeah, and Mo Moxie was this sort of a, a, a still an underground phenomenon uh, that, that you know, should have been a bigger band. Didn't yeah. we do an episode about this? You know, yeah. so... They, they still get played on the radio in San Antonio. Moon Rider, Sail oh, On, oh, Sail Away, oh, Time oh, to yeah. Move you know, those are uh, those are staples on FM radio in San Antonio. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to mention some songs here. Uh, uh, sail on, sail away. Uh, can't you see I'm a star moon rider fantasy uh, out of the darkness uh, riding high. Still, I wonder train. Uh, we got to keep this train rolling. Oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. That's pretty much their first record. I just rattled off right the there, and I'm record, telling you, if you can only have one Moxie album, it, it needs to be the first one, which is called the Black Album because it's got a plain black cover with the band logo on the front. But it's a classic. It's, it's heavy. Yeah, it's a heavy record, it's, it's man. An underground classic and uh, yeah. well worth finding. Um, kind of, it's kind of important to me that record. Um, and uh, honestly, I'm lo I'm looking at an ad here. It says Moxie Moonrider parentheses featuring Tommy Bolin. So this is the internet now. You know, I think that when you're a kid and you have you're you're stealing your older brother's record collection and you get this record Moxie. Hey, let's check this out. You don't know that's Tommy Bolin playing yeah. guitar on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I don't even know if Tommy Bolin is from Canada or not. I don't know either. I don't know. I mean, we need to yeah, we need some fact checking going on with that, I guess. But it, it, that's not really what we're here to to display. I I think it's important that Moxie gets a uh, a talk louder trophy here uh, in this moment because, dude, shit is strong. Yeah. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. 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 Much like Moxie, a uh, couple of really classic albums, and uh, and uh, and we owe them for bringing ACDC to America. So there's that as well. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know that, that they were uh, you know they brought ACDC to America. Yeah. It's, a, it's a kick ass booking agent that thought it would be a good idea to put Moxie and ACDC on the road together. Right, right, right. I meant that you know figuratively, but. Uh, but yeah, so props to Moxie. I'm going to go with, uh, here's another band, Canadian band. Do you remember Crash Kelly? 
Yeah. Yeah, Crash Kelly, uh, led by singer-guitarist Sean Kelly. Um, they came to Austin one year as part of South by Southwest, and I was introduced to the guys by a, by a guy named Chris Case, who was either their publicist or their tour manager or something. Uh, he introduced me to the guys. I went to see a couple of their shows. Uh, Sean and I kind of hit it off. Uh, we actually even went to a New York Dolls reunion gig during South by Southwest when that was a big deal that the Dolls were sort of reunited. Um, and Sean and I went and checked out that gig. But they had a, a handful of records in the early 2000s that were really good. And my favorite is probably one that came out in 2006 called Electric Satisfaction. And it was produced by Gilby Clark and... Um, it has, it, the influences are, are pretty obvious and they do it really well. It's, it's just sounds a lot like Cheap Trick, Thin Lizzy, Old Kiss, uh, Alice Cooper. I mean, it's that 70s vibe and they do it really well. And, uh, and Sean is a pretty prolific songwriter and musician. He's gone on to work with, here we go with some more Canadian bands, Coney Hatch, Helix, um, and he currently plays, uh, for Nelly for for Nelly Furtado, the pop right star. yeah um, but anyway I'm going with Crash Kelly I think they deserve some props if you've never heard of them look them up uh, and if you only buy one record I'd say go with uh, Electric Satisfactions a really good homage to 70s hard rock I want to jump in here and and uh, uh, tag you on Coney Hatch. Uh, Max Norman produced a Coney Hatch record, and I want to say that James Labrie from Dream Theater was actually in Coney Hatch for a second. Wow. I don't have any fact check going on with that, but I do think that James Labrie, famous from Dream Theater, uh, was in Coney Hatch for a hot second. Yeah. I, I later version, it. maybe. Yeah. yeah, the the band has sort of the name has lived on for decades in one form or another. And like I said, I mean, Sean Kelly was part of it. He obviously wasn't part of the original band. Uh, but yeah, the only thing I know about Coney Hatch is also they used to come tour through San Antonio as an opening act. And Joe Anthony used to play a song called Devil's Deck uh, that I remember. Uh, but other than that, they, they are pretty obscure um outside of canada but uh, yeah uh another band worth mentioning uh coney hatch and helix i mean helix was uh helix made some waves here in the united states and uh we did an episode earlier where i couldn't think of the first single that was getting played on the radio in san antonio and i i confused the title with and, and you corrected me uh, I was citing an Urge Overkill title, and I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't get any closer. What, what was it? The song is called You're a Woman Now. Oh, okay. okay. 1979. Wow. Released. And Joe Anthony, again, in San Antonio, was playing that song, and I think that was San Antonio's introduction to Helix. Um, it may have been America's introduction to Helix, for all I know. But of course, then they had some, they signed to a major and they had some pretty big hits uh, a few records later. Heavy Metal Love, Gimme an R, uh, Deep Cuts the Knife. 
Uh, I always liked that singer. I thought Brian Vollmer was a pretty good ballsy rock and roll singer. Oh uh, yeah, he's rowdy. He's like a he's he reminds me of Sammy Hagar a little bit. He reminds me of Jesse James Dupree and Sammy. Okay. Hagar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sort of the same vibe. Yeah, yeah, I, he's a little little wily like like Sammy and Jesse. Yeah. Uh, I agree. He's kind of unhinged in some in some places in the in the right metal content. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Sammy Hagar, I almost forgot one of my little uh, trivia bits I was going to throw out when we were speaking about uh, Loverboy just a minute ago. Uh, did you know that Mike Reno sings backup vocals on that Sammy Hagar song, Remember the Heroes? I don't know the song Remember the Heroes, but uh, <laughs> it was, I... It was on Three Log Box, and it was a big hit. And uh, that album, of course, was a blockbuster. And so yeah, time, that, that, I'm more I'm more Montrose man myself, yeah. but but Sammy Hagar's badass. I mean, yeah. obviously he is Sammy Hagar, and we we could do a whole show on the career of Sammy Hagar. Right. But he was the Three Lock Box record came out in like 1982, and it was a huge hit. And uh, so at the time, Sammy was big on the radio, and of course at the same time, Loverboy was huge on the radio. So it was kind of interesting that two of these voices that were in two of the biggest, you know, bands of the time had sort of teamed up together. And Remember the Heroes uh, was one of my favorite songs off that. It's one of my favorites out of Sammy's catalog. And I remember getting played a lot uh, on the radio in San Antonio. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. But Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I can actually hear those guys' voices together. I bet that that gelled very, very well. Yeah, uh, I bet they toured together. You know, before you before you jump in on another one, I want to talk about Lee Aaron. What yeah. do you know about What do you know about Lee Aaron? Is she the on your list? Team. The metal yeah. team. Yes, I. Well, uh, our I was just speaking about Sean Kelly from Crash Kelly. He's also worked with Lee Aaron. Yes. Uh, I don't know a lot of Lee's material, but I do remember she was one of the first female heavy metal, like unashamedly heavy metal women uh, to, to, to lead a band and to, you know, sort of be the front and center focal point. Yes. And I always admired her for that because uh, she was playing basically in, in a, in a boys league, if you will. And, and she kicked ass. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was Lee Aaron in Canada and Betsy bitch in Los Angeles yeah. And then a few years later, I think Doro and Warlock yeah. in Germany. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a thousand more and there's more, but you're right. Since it's a boys club, it's it was, was harder for them. Yeah. And the fact that they, they insisted on playing heavy metal instead of like, you know, wearing hot pink and pigtails and playing, going that route, as far as, you know, bubblegum pop singing stuff, they wanted, they were metal. They loved the heavy shit. Yeah. They were Motorhead fans. They were Iron Maiden fans. They were just they were just like me and you, and uh, and and uh, you know I don't I don't mean that to come out the wrong way. I'm 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 propping for sure. Right, I right. think that Lee Aaron the first time I heard uh, or mainly saw I think I saw the name and then saw photos was again in a British heavy metal magazine Kerrang. Yeah. I saw Lee Aaron in there all the time. She was yeah. always in there. It sometimes it was kind of random, just kind of mixed in with the Saxons and the Maidens and the and the Venom and the whatever. Just because Kerrang was, you know, if it was hard rock and metal, they they just 
made a soup out of it. And that's what I loved about the magazine. But yeah, I would see Lee Aaron in there with uh, sometimes random, but then sometimes they would do uh, like uh, female fronted rock and metal bands issue kind of a thing. And one name that always came up was Rock Goddess. And of course, Girl School and Lee Aaron was in there all the time. Yeah. Of course, Wendy O. Williams was in there. There's the East Coast. There's our East Coast metal mama is uh, Wendy yeah. O. So yeah. we got Wendy O. from the East Coast. You got Betsy in L.A. You got Lee Aaron uh, up in the Great White North. And you had Lita Ford and and Joan Jett. At, oh, you know, oh my God, yeah. Well, Cal- there was a bunch in California, and and yeah. and the the Runaways kind of like wrote the book on. On they they were they were uh, they were here we go here's my word again they were a genesis of something, yeah. you know they were rough and tumble and kicking ass, uh, all female hard rock punk rock uh, attitude for days, um, really doing well. Yeah, um, I sh- I should mention before we leave uh, before we leave Sean Kelly uh, I forgot to mention that he also wrote a book a few years ago called metal on ice and that book does exactly what we're doing here on the show today it's basically a history of canadian hard rock and heavy metal and of course him being from canada and having been in the scene and and actually played with a lot of these musicians he obviously has a a first-hand perspective on a lot of the bands that we're talking about today and some that we won't even get to so uh just wanted to bring that up. It's called Metal on Ice, written by Sean Kelly, and it's a really cool. good, comprehensive look at the Canadian hard rock and metal scene. Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't know this until we decided to do this episode, that Steppenwolf is a Canadian rock band. I didn't know that either. Is so that- so everybody should if they don't know this they should know that born to be wild by steppenwolf has the lyric in it where it's the moniker heavy metal yeah you say heavy uh, you know i like smoking lightning heavy metal thunder yeah songs have been written solely for those lyrics like using that using that lyric as the influence of everything that would turn to metal it would turn genre. to steel. It turned yeah. into a genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think Steppenwolf even even uh it, it claims heavy metal as the, that they are an early late sixties, seventies kind of a heavy metal band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You think, I mean, Born to Be Wild, that is a heavy metal song. It's got all of the attitude. You know, you turn that up and and uh, add some more f- put flames on it and it's it's motorhead. Yeah, it's it's heavy metal, yeah. <laughs> especially for the times. Yeah. I didn't know they were Canadian. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Um, I'm going to throw out another one here, uh, the Black Halos. Um, and I'm going to go with them because they, they put out an album. So I was downtown in Austin, Texas at Casino El Camino, which is a well-known uh, bar that serves amazing hamburgers, and they're also known for their jukebox. So anyone who's listening to this show, anyone that's ever come to Austin for South by Southwest, everybody has stopped into Casino El Camino. And it's this really dark, dingy sort of dungeon-looking establishment uh, where all the, the punk rockers and the metal people and the rock and rollers hang out. 
and uh, really cool staff, really good food, and the jukebox is amazing. So I'm in there one night, and I hear this song, and I was just like, oh, my God, I don't know who this is, but it's great. And I walk over to the jukebox, and it's the Black Halos from Canada. And the album was called The Violent Years, and it was on Sub Pop Records. And I want to say it came out in 2001. And um, after listening, after hearing one track at Casino El Camino, I went out and found the record and I brought it home and I listened to it and I loved it. It's like one of those records that's just start to finish a masterpiece. And um, it's got a lot of special meaning to me because before Kim and I were married, I would drive back and forth to visit her in Houston. And that album was in heavy rotation in my car. So it was sort of like a road soundtrack. And I used to hate driving so much. One time, a couple times, I actually took a Greyhound bus to Houston, which was probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made. But True um, love. True I, love. Yeah, true love. True Amen, love. brother. But I remember listening to The Violent Years on my headphones on a Greyhound bus. And, and it's just a really good album. And the band, the guitarist in the band at that time on that record is Rich Jones, who today is in the Michael Monroe band and uh, has been a, has had a significant hand in sort of shaping the sound of especially the last couple of uh, Michael Monroe records, which are fabulous. But anyway, the Black Halos, I always loved the band name. I fell in love with them immediately as soon as I heard them. And that record, The Violent Years, is, is really good. I'm trying to think of a way to describe them. Uh, the singer's got this really, it's, his voice is an acquired taste. It's just this, it's almost a Lemmy kind of thing. Just a, like a guy that shouldn't even be making a living as a vocalist, you know? And well, I mean, that's the thing you, you didn't say singer, you said vocalist. Yeah. He's, he's a vocalist. And I yeah. mean, with all due respect to of Billy, course. his name is Billy, his stage name is Billy Hopeless, uh, which is perfect, you know, cause I've often described his voice as kind of hopeless, but I mean, any other voice wouldn't sound great with the music. So it's perfect. It's just match made in heaven, you know? But um, they're just a really raw barroom rock and roll band, a little bit, maybe a little bit of a goth sort of tinge to it, you know, kind of, you know, like a Dead Boys or something. Yeah. Uh, punk rock. Uh, good stuff. But yeah, I got to mention the Black Halos and especially the album The Violent Years and Rich Jones. So I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead here and just kind of throw a couple of bands out at one time. So I want to say that the first and I don't I don't it's not a race. I I may have heard about both of them the same week. I I don't think I did, but just for sake of the show, I'm going to throw two two at once. You get into two for right now. All right. And that would be Exciter and Anvil. I was okay. going to mention Exciter, but go ahead. So Exciter, uh, I saw Exciter on their uh, their earliest tours. The you know the first time they would have ever made it to Texas, um, uh, played a show with them. Uh, you know the first the heavy metal maniac, uh, <clears throat> violence and force, and I think Long Live the Loud are probably as far as I got. And I love those records. They are super fun. 
especially the first two that I mentioned. And some of it's kind of thrash. They had a singing drummer. He was amazing. Uh, yeah, and he... Dan Beeler. That's correct. And Dan uh, would, you know, do good, do good, do good, do good, while he's, you know, doing his best impression of like Rob Halford. Yeah. I mean, let's 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 talk about the elephant in the room. Where did they get the name of their band from? Judas Priest. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so, I absolutely love Exciter. I could almost say the same thing about Anvil in the same breath. That the first. Well, their earlier records are more of like a rock and roll and leaning into a heavy metal attitude. They had a, an album called Hard and Heavy. Um, there, there's more that I'm just kind of forgetting. I'm, I'm, uh, I apologize. I'm not prepared on my Anvil discography at the moment. <laughs> but I want to say that the records and then I kind of still live in this bubble of uh, they are metal on metal and uh, Forged in Fire. Those two records are like the Bible of Anvil, and they are very heavy metal. Uh, the titles alone are very heavy metal. Yeah. They, so like I said, some of their earlier material, um, like Lips, the guitar player, um, it's obviously not his real name, it's a nickname. Uh, Lips would would wear the bondage gear, the choker with the chains, and he wouldn't have a shirt on and leather pants, and he'd make funny faces. And he always sounded like an angry Ted Nugent when he, his guitar solos were very Chuck Berry, but on speed, which yeah. is which is kind of what Ted Nugent is. Yeah. And I I th I want to say that Lips even played Fender stacks and not Marshall stacks. Well, that's a Ted Nugent thing. Wow. Okay, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he would play like slide guitar with a dildo. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, for those of you listening and not watching, I'm sitting here with like mouth agape trying to <laughs> where that fit in. I think that he was just trying to shock his shock value, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because it was not that impressive of of you know guitar work when he would break out the dildo, right? <laughs> it was maybe it maybe it was a vibrator and not a dildo. You know, maybe he made it more challenging by hitting the switch and you know, and it's maybe it it it, it vibrated the guitar a certain way. And I don't I don't know, but it's all just hysterical and it just seems like all for shock value. The Material back then was was different than I feel uh, that I'm have a leg to stand on here on the records that I'm sort of propping up here, metal on metal and forged in fire. Yeah, um, those were records where I believe they were still a four piece band. Uh, they because people know them as a three piece band and people know them about the movie. Oh, I've never heard of this band. Let's watch this, you know, movie called Anvil, the story of Anvil or whatever. And yeah. and they learn about this, you know, they just think they're a little nobody band. And then they see and they're headlining, you know, one of the bigger names at like Sweden Rock in like 1983. Yeah. Um, and they and they were able to you know get a cab and uh, you know and book a book a gig in Japan that early as well. Yeah. 
So it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, the career of Anvil, because like Lars says in the sort of uh, interviewed uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, spoken word part of the uh, where they're talking to they talk to Tom Mariah from Slayer. Da, da, da. You've seen the movie. Yeah. It's Lars, Lars kind of summed it up when he said, you know, past those formative years, he, he Lars says something didn't translate. Yeah. It didn't carry over for whatever, but damn it, I'll end my anvil story with this. You could hear those fuckers on San, San Antonio 99.5 Kiss. Yes, you could. You could, he, you could hear anvil every day. Yep. Every weekend, at least. Again, San Antonio just embraced Canadian hard rock and heavy metal. I'm glad you brought up Exciter because I have them on my list. And uh, uh, I, I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Dan Beeler, the drummer, because he was really an un unusual uh, that that the drummer was playing like he played. He was just a beast of a drummer. And then he sang, like you said, you know, in a style that was similar to Rob Halford. So you've got this guy who's just muscling this kit, just pummeling it to death and shrieking like a banshee on top of it all. It's like, how does this guy even do this? Hence the uh, the song. I like that. Uh, hence the song, uh, Cry of the Banshee. Yeah. yeah exactly. Which is one of my favorite Exciter songs for sure. I'm a, I love the Violence and Force record. I think that's yes. a record. And, you know, here's a here's a little trivia. Do you know? who produced that record violence and force violence and force. I, I do not but metal dave is going to tell me you're going to know this name carl kennedy yes of yes. course yes where do you know him from he's the drummer for the rods and he also produced a ton of shit yeah <laughs> we'll go with uh, the early anthrax records uh oh, that's right did, he did overkill's field of fire and he did Beyond the Gates from Possessed. Wow. He was a pretty prolific uh, producer. Beside, he's actually probably better known as a producer than he was as the drummer for the Rods. Um, you know, he may have done a Hellstar record when they were on Combat. Maybe. I don't know. Hey, he's, anyway, got... the, Rods are, the Rods are from New York. Let's don't get off, off course here. But Carl, Carl Kennedy is a god among men. Yeah. Uh, drummer for the Rods, who was the Rods were fronted by a guy named David Feinstein, Feinstein, mm -hmm. who is the cousin of Ronnie James Dio. That's right, Dave Rock Feinstein. Yes, that's right. His nickname mm -hmm. is Rock. I, th I don't know if he dropped Rock or not, since it was another Rock around there. Yeah, <laughs> it was Bobby Rock. There was Bob Rock. There was. Uh, you know, we're talking about five people with the name Bob Rock, Bobby Rock, uh, the, the drummer Bobby Rock, the producer Bob Rock, and Bobby Langraf here in Texas. Who, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, and then there's the Rock. Not the to be Rock. confused. Not to be confused with the movie called <laughs> The Rock. <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you now. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, as with every one of these episodes, I'm sure there's uh, there's names that we have omitted or forgotten about. Um, so please, listeners, uh, when you get done watching this episode or listening to it or whatever, uh, leave some comments. Tell us who we forgot. Um, obviously, I'm going to 
throw out a few names here just in closing, uh, just so we don't look stupid. You got to mention the Guess Who, Bachman Turner Overdrive, uh, Kim Mitchell and Max Webster. Rush. Uh, Rush. Rush, of course. How Triumph. about Mahogany Rush? Mahogany Rush yes. as well. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. So yes, uh, yes. Honeymoon Suite. And, uh, and we'll give Brian Adams a nod just because he's yes. – He's uh, he sold a few records and he co-wrote War Machine by Kiss. So Sebastian Bach is from Canada. Sebastian yeah. Bach, yeah. Sebastian Bach from Canada, correct? Yeah. Yeah. There, so, uh, there are there are so many that we're not able to include in this episode. We might have to do Canada Part Two. Canada Part Two. Well, I think we did a pretty good job uh, getting started anyway. Uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun, Dave, and I like all your choices and I like it that you sort of went underground a little bit and put put in some of your faves. Yeah. I know I didn't go totally underground. I stuck with what I knew and uh I feel like uh this is the interview with the boxer that lost. So, uh, I know my lips bleeding right now. <laughs> uh I'll, but uh you know, go Danko. Well, you know, it, it just goes to show there's uh, there's a lot more uh, Canadian rock bands than people are aware of. And I mean, you know, <clears throat> names like Triumph and Rush always come to the forefront. Loverboy, Brian Adams. Uh, but yeah, you know, you start talking about Exciter and Anvil and in my case, the Black Halos and Crash Kelly and Danko Jones. I'm, I'm raising my hand, Dave. Go ahead. What you got? You got a question? S sacrifice. <laughs> Sacrifice thrash, thrash band called Sacrifice from Canada. Yes, I was yes. not aware of that. Yeah, Sacrifice. Well, and uh, there, there's more. Yeah, there's, there's more. more. There's April always April Wine. Oh, how did we April Wine? Wine? We yeah. could do. A, I could talk about April Wine for at least forty-five minutes. How did I skip over April? Yeah, there, there's still now, an unsung. Now I'm, now I'm the boxer that lost the match. <laughs> <laughs> you're like uh, you're like go black halos yeah uh dude it's it's ridiculous um you know canada is uh our neighbor to the north that is full of artists they they support their arts yes they do um they they if you form a band and are uh basically uh, having to hire a manager uh, or a booking agent or I don't know, they have something with their government where they the government gives you money, like yeah. pays you for the production of your video. If, if the only clause is if it gives a Canadian a job. Yeah. And I think that that's an incredible uh, that's incredible. Yeah, it really is. They do they do support their arts uh, on a on a government federal level, you know. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, they do. That would never. So, I know we're trying to close shop here, but I have three words for you. Uh -oh. That they include the word three. Are you ready? Do you know what I'm going to say? Uh, no. It's four words. Three, <laughs> three inches of blood. Oh, three inches of blood. Holy I, crap! What? A South fucking band. Yeah. Also from Canada, of course. I saw them at South by Southwest one year, and they were holy vicious. shit, vicious man. They were yeah. Really they're vicious. they're an incredible sort of throwback, kind of an old school Euro thrashy kind of mixture. They have two singers, you know. They have like the new metal singer, and then they have the like 
the old thrash kind of like Paul Bailoff mixed with a Halford kind of screechy high yeah. sort of Bobby Blitz kind of a style. Yeah. It's an incredible, their records are incredible. Yeah. I saw them once and they, they were pretty impressive. They were, they were uh, fierce is the word that comes to mind. So yeah, three inches of blood. I'm glad you squeezed them in <laughs> and they'll, and they're glad too. So three inches yeah. of blood, there you go. All right, that's enough on Canada for this go-around. Uh, let's move on to our shot of rock and roll. I've known you to wear a lot of really cool band and concert shirts. Uh, you, also, you often wear something on stage that's just classic, that no one has seen since 1982. Um, so if you had to single out, what would you say is your most prized uh, concert shirt or band shirt? Pass. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible to answer. Now, um, being that I'm a bit long in the tooth and things happen when you become the elder, uh, and your concert t-shirts that you got at the show, they just don't fit anymore. Um, you know, there's been so many shirts that I just don't have anymore because they didn't fit. And I, 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 you know, maybe I sold a few on eBay maybe I gave some to my nephew. Maybe I, um, you know, it's this is not like a braggart moment right here or boasting of any by any means but i wish i would have kept the uh drawer full of metallica t-shirts that james hetfield gave me but i do not have any of those any longer because they would just be as big as a dish rag yeah. and and paper thin too yeah. like i'd be able to see through them so um, they've moved on to greener pastures to collectors and, like I said, relatives and friends. Yeah. Um, that would probably be uh, some of the moments that you're kind of asking me about. Um, I do have like a closet full of, you know, what I would just say reprints yeah. and collectibles. And sometimes, um, you know, friends of mine, colleagues, if you will, will be on tour with, you know, I'll be a fan of their band, but they're supporting, uh, someone like when Danko's out with Saxon and Danko's out with Motorhead, I'll, I'll hit him back and go, dude, I wear a medium. And he has <laughs> delivered, he has oh, delivered wow. more than once. Wow. Uh, he got me a Motorhead, um, it says it says Europa on the bottom, and it's just all these European dates on the back. I don't recall at the moment what record they were touring, yeah. but uh, it it was a while back now. But that's that's one, uh, and then some of them were gimmies that were bought in like London record stores. My buddy Mike was in England once, and uh, he brought back a uh, Stone Deaf Forever. A shirt that was, I think, it was like a greatest hits uh, record that uh, one of the labels had put out. But they used they were they didn't have a, a proper studio record, so the band actually toured that, and there's tour dates on the back of that. Um, 
That's that's what I got now. Otherwise, I, I have some fabulous bootlegs. I've got some uh, tributes to like Philip Linet. I've got some uh, cool bootleg UFO shirts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've yeah. always liked uh, I've always liked your Crocus Headhunter and your Four Horsemen t-shirts that you wear on stage sometimes with broken teeth yeah that's been that's been a long time you know broken teeth's been around 21 years so i don't recall the shows particular you speak of but i don't know if those things fit anymore but yeah those are those are great those are great shirts yeah yeah um my shot of rock and roll to you is and i have a if the answer is well let's just see what it is have you heard and or are you just even familiar with the latest Armored Saint record? Uh, Punching the Sky. Correct. Punching the Sky. I'm aware of it, but I haven't heard it. So give me the, uh, give me the Cliff's Notes review real quick. I'm late in the game, and a lot of people close to me know that I am infatuated with Armored Saint. Yes. To say the least. Yeah. Um, you and I have uh, gotten to spend a lot of quality time with Mr. Bush. Yes. Um, mainly mainly, his, mainly like- his anthrax uh, moments. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I know him from Armored Saint. And uh, this record is, a, is an excellent. This came out during the pandemic, this Punching the Sky. Yeah. And this thing charted. This thing was on fave lists, top to bottom, underground to, you know, Siri, the all of the the internet DJs as I call them, you know, satellite stations and stuff like that. This this got a lot of airplay. Uh, they made a bunch of promo clips because it was locked down, so they were they made a lot of videos for this. I can't much like many armored saint records i cannot tell you i don't have a favorite song yeah i just don't but they've always been like a well-rounded rock band with heavy metal tinge yeah. and uh great production incredible players and uh you know they and, are they they are the original lineup as close as they can be jeff duncan has been with them uh, since uh, Dave Pritchard passed away, and he was a friend of theirs, uh, I want to say Armored Saint is from the Pasadena area, and is uh, you know was uh, they they are legend for being a California rock slash metal band. Their first EP being on Metal Blade, and prior to that, they had a song. I'm gonna. I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong if I guess, so I'm just not going to embarrass myself. They were on one of the Metal Blade Metal Massacre yeah. records. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Um, it might have been Lesson Well Learned. I'm going with that. A Lesson okay. Well Learned. That that sounds possible, yeah. Maybe, I maybe Heavy Metal Massacre 2, possibly 1. No, oh, no. But uh, yeah, nice to see that they're uh, still putting out records. And like you say, it's basically the classic lineup minus Dave Pritchard, of course. But uh, Duncan has been in the fold for years and years and years. Uh, so a band that's been around as long as they have still putting out uh, great records that are being uh, praised and and doing so with the, the core group is, is pretty impressive. And dude, I mean, can you ever go wrong with John Bush? I mean, what a singer. So 
don't I'll get me started. I'll have Just to don't up. don't even don't even get yeah. me started on Bush because yeah. it's it's incredible. He's the one that actually sent me this this copy because, like I said, I was I'm guilty. I I'm a little late in the game on this this record. Yeah. Um, but to to add to what you were saying, um, to me, Armored Saint is like um, even though I feel like they they did you know take a little bit of time off when John was busy with Anthrax. They are like Saxon or something to me. They're yeah. like this legendary band. You know, they're they've sort of even fit with the new wave of British heavy metal, such as Saxon is a genesis of that kind of a thing. You know, an Iron Maiden, if you will, but a Def Leppard, if you will, but Armored Saint closer to you know going in. You know, still living sort of an underground credibility on top of having you know. Uh, uh, you know, a mar marginal hits yeah. now and then. Yeah. Um, anyway, all of the, uh, the cr they have credibility. Definitely. They are the nicest guys in the world. True. They are the strongest writers and players. Yeah. They yeah. put on a fantastic high energy rock show. Yeah. They know how to do it. They are holding up extremely well. They look fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Armored Saint punching the sky. If you're late like me, give it a chance. Yeah, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, somewhere in the not too distant future, maybe they'll be able to tour that record because it would be great to see them live again. Because um, yeah, catalog of great songs and a new album to boot. So, props to Armored Saint. Um, man, I think that's going to do it for this episode. It was nice visiting Canada with you, man. <laughs> I love it. Take off. It's a beauty yeah. way to go. Yeah. We're going to go um, off, eh? The Bob yeah. and Doug McKenzie uh, with... Uh, Getty yeah, Lee. Yeah, with Getty Lee and yeah. uh, the Max Webster song Battle Scar with Getty Lee, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to... On that note, we're going to take off, eh? Yeah, take <laughs> off, eh? You, don't be a hoser. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster thanking you for watching another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Again, hit that subscribe button, leave your comments on our pages. We love hearing from you, and uh, we'll catch up with you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.